In the business world, it's important to have confidence in your own knowledge, your own experience, to make that big sale and to land that big client. In school, you need to be confident that you've studied hard all week, you know your material, and you're ready for that big test. In sports, it's important to have confidence that you've trained hard all week, you've practiced, and that all that hard work is going to pay off in the big game. But too much confidence can be a bad thing. There's always one story that sticks out in my mind when I think of someone who had too much confidence. Yes, it's a sports story. All right, it's a football story. And yes, it has to do with the Green Bay Packers. But there's a good reason for it, so stick with me. 2003, Packers made the playoffs. And in the first round of the playoffs, they were playing the Seattle Seahawks. The game went into overtime, and Seattle won the coin toss to start overtime. Now, the referee asked Seattle's quarterback, Matt Hasselbeck, if they wanted to be on offense or defense first, if they wanted to receive the ball or kick off. And Hasselbeck leaned over to the referee just enough so that his microphone could pick up his answer. So not only did the players at midfield hear his answer, not only did the whole stadium hear his answer, but everybody watching at home heard Hasselbeck's bold and confident prediction. He said, we want the ball and we're going to score. A pretty bold statement because in the NFL at that time, overtime rules stated that the first team to score in overtime wins sudden death. But as it turned out, Seattle didn't score on their opening possession of overtime. But ne neither did Green Bay, so Seattle got a second chance. And on a third down and 10, Hasselbeck threw the ball to the left side, and Green Bay Packer defensive back Al Harris intercepted the ball, ran it 52 yards for the game-winning touchdown. Seattle lost. So much for Hasselbeck's bold and confident prediction. Now where did Matt Hasselbeck put his confidence? He thought his own abilities, his own talent, and even the talent of his own team would be good enough to win the game. But his words couldn't back up what his, his actions, his play, could not back up his words. He put his confidence in something that ultimately disappointed him and cost him the game. Now this morning, we're going to look at a bold faith, a confident faith, even a daring faith. But this faith wasn't confident in its own abilities. It wasn't daring because of what it could do on its own. This faith was daring because of the person in whom it trusted and the words of that person. So let's take a closer look at our message lesson for this morning. The first two verses set the scene. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. 
There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. So this servant was in pretty rough shape. In Matthew's account of this story, he says the servant was paralyzed and in great suffering. So the servant was on the verge of death. And this wasn't just another nameless, faceless slave to this centurion. We hear that he is highly favored. He's valued highly by his master. So that should be the first indication that there's something special about this centurion. Most masters cared more about their horses and their cattle than they did about their own servants. But this servant held a special place in his master's heart. And this master was willing to do anything to help him get better, to heal him. This master loved his servant, but he also loved his Lord. Apparently, sometime during this centurion's stay in Capernaum, he came into contact with the Jewish religion. And it turned out that he grew to love the people of Israel, grew to love the Jewish people. Now, it would be very, very difficult to find any Roman soldier at this time who would admit that they loved the people of Israel. But the Jewish elders who this centurion sent to Jesus showed how much he loved the people. The elders told Jesus, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This Roman soldier loved God's people so much that he paid to build their synagogue with his own money. This had such an impact on these Jewish elders that they pleaded earnestly with Jesus to have him do this. These Jewish elders respected the centurion so much because of the love he had shown them and their people. That's the first sign of this centurion's daring faith, is love. And this wasn't just the warm, fuzzy feeling that we sometimes associate with love. No, this was the genuine agape love that puts other people's needs ahead of your own. This centurion loved God's people, and he loved his servant. He was willing to do anything for that servant. And this love was motivated by what God had already done for that centurion. God is love. We love because he first loved us. This centurion wanted to help his servant, and he loved him so much that he was willing to go to Jesus for help. A daring faith can do nothing but love. Faith always loves because it's motivated by the love that God has for that person. So the first sign of that centurion's daring faith was love. The centurion's love for his servant caused him to send those Jewish elders to go ask Jesus for help. 
And notice how the centurion didn't go to Jesus himself. And as we hear later in verse 7, he tells us why. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So this Roman soldier, perhaps in charge of up to 100 other soldiers, didn't consider himself worthy enough to even approach Jesus with his request. So he sent Jewish elders in his place. Now, was it because he realized that he was a Gentile? He was considered unclean to the Jewish people and didn't want to make Jesus unclean by coming into his presence? Maybe. Maybe that had something to do with it. But I think there was a de another deeper reason that he didn't want to come to Jesus by himself. Humility. This centurion realized his own sinfulness, his own unworthiness to approach the very Son of God, who he knew was holy and perfect and righteous. This centurion loved his servant enough to send Jewish elders to go ask Jesus, but he was also humble enough to realize his own unworthiness. And that's the second sign of this centurion's daring faith, is humility. We find it hard to be humble sometimes, don't we? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we have to admit that the sinful nature inside each and every one of us wants the best for ourselves. We don't want to be humble. We want to be self-confident. We want to boast in our own abilities and our own talents and our own successes. We want people to know what we've done. And the world teaches us the exact same thing. In the business world, if you're humble, you're going to get walked all over. You're going to get trampled. There, there's no room for humility in the business world. If you want to make a name for yourself, if you want to be someone and, and make an impact, you're the one who has to climb up that ladder and step on hands and toes and, and heads, if necessary, to get where you want to go. But where do we find our humility? Where did the centurion find his humility? It might seem like a simple answer, but it's in the greatest example of humility that this world has ever known. Jesus. Just think about what he did for you and me. He, was, he is the almighty Son of God, all-powerful God himself, the ruler of the universe, the very word which created that universe, and yet he came down to earth, lowered himself to our level to be born in a stable, to live a life perfectly under his father's laws, and to ultimately die the most humiliating death imaginable. And he did that all because he loves you and wanted to save you. That's where this centurion found his humility. That's where you and I can find that exact same humility 
as we deal with the people around us. So a daring faith is loving, and a daring faith is humble. Pastor kind of mentioned it in his children's service, children's message, but can you understand how loving can be daring? How it's daring to be loving? Because if you love someone, you're putting aside all your wants, all your desires, all your needs, and putting someone else's wants, needs, and desires ahead of your own. You're giving that person all you have and all you are. You're taking a huge risk when you love someone, aren't you? I think everyone here can understand what a risk that can be. Because you're not sure how that, that person is going to respond. But now, can you understand how it's daring to love Jesus? Because if we love Jesus, we're saying we're putting him as number one in our lives. He's our number one priority. He's our number one love. We're putting him ahead of everything else, everyone else, and we're putting our trust, our faith, and our love in him alone. That does sound pretty risky, pretty daring, doesn't it? But what does Jesus promise? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We might be risking a lot when we love Jesus above everything else, but he also promises us that he will never let us lose anything. And the same goes for being humble. If you're being humble, you certainly are being daring. You are daring. You're taking a risk. Because you're putting your will underneath someone else's. And you're recognizing that it would be better to serve that person rather than be served by that person. And the, the same risk applies. You're risking being run over, being taken advantage of, being pushed around because of that humility. But remember what Jesus did for you, how he was humble for you. If Jesus did all that for you, lived and died and rose again for you, all because of his daring love for you, that's the perfect example of how we can have a daring humility. There's another part to a daring faith that we can see in the story of this centurion. It might seem a little obvious, but it needs to be said. A daring faith is also confident. There has to be a good balance between humility and confidence. This centurion loved his servant so much that he was willing to help him out and he sent Jewish elders to Jesus. He was humble in his request, but he was also confident in Jesus' power to help his servant. He even says, Say the word, and my servant will be healed. He knew Jesus had the power to heal his servant, but he also knew that Jesus didn't need any medicine. He didn't need, there, he, he didn't need to be there to touch the servant. 
He didn't even need to be physically present in the room or the house to do so. All Jesus needed to do was say the words. Now, from a human standpoint, this centurion knew the power of words. He continues to tell Jesus, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In the Roman army, soldiers obeyed. They didn't question. It didn't matter what the order was, you obeyed without question. So if this Roman centurion, this man who was in charge of up to 100 soldiers, knew that his orders would be carried out without question, how much more do you think he understood that even that sickness of his servant would have to obey Jesus' orders? The very Son of God, who had divine authority over all of creation. This centurion was humble in his faith, but he was also confident, not because of his own faith and his own abilities, but he was confident in Jesus' grace and mercy alone. And friends, you and I can have that same confidence. We know our God is loving and merciful and powerful and is willing to go to all that trouble to help us out when we're having problems. Now, this centurion didn't want to put Jesus into all that trouble. He didn't want to cause problems for Jesus. That's why he sent his friends to say, no, you don't even need to come to my house. I don't want to trouble you that much. But just think of all the trouble that Jesus went to only a few weeks later, a few years later, when he went to the cross to die for the sins of that centurion, that servant, for you and for me. And just think of all the trouble he went to even before he got to the cross. Usually we, we don't like to imagine that. We don't like to think of all that trouble that Jesus went to because like the centurion, we don't want to cause Jesus any trouble. We, we don't want to bother him. But at the same time, we gladly accept and receive all that trouble that he went to when he went to the cross, to when he lived and died and rose again for all of our sins. And if he's willing to go to all that trouble for you and me, won't he be even all the more able and willing to help us out with all of our other little problems? All we have to do is ask. We have to be humble in our faith, but we also can be confident, knowing that if we come to God, He will answer us. Because God always fulfills His promises, and He always takes care of His children. But there's one more part to this daring faith. It's loving, it's humble, and it's confident. And a daring faith always receives what it believes. We hear in the last two verses of our lesson, when Jesus heard this, 
he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This centurion's faith was so daring that even Jesus was amazed by it. The centurion loved his servant and was willing to send the Jewish elders to ask Jesus to heal him. He was humble in his request, and yet he was confident in Jesus' power to heal. And as we hear, he received what he asked for. That servant was healed immediately. A daring faith always receives what it believes. So, once again, there are four parts to a daring faith. First is love. A daring faith loves God above all else and loves others before itself. Second, a daring faith is humble. Faith is always accompanied by humility. A humble faith realizes a person's sinfulness and unworthiness to approach a just and holy God, but at the same time, a daring faith is confident. Not in its own abilities or its own faith, but because of Jesus. It's confident knowing that God is powerful, is merciful, and is willing to help us whenever we come to him with our requests. And the result of that is that the daring faith always receives what it believes. So to kind of sum everything up this morning, to, to close off this message, I want to read a quote from Martin Luther, which pretty much sums up what a daring faith really is. Probably a little more succinctly than what I just did, a little more brief, but that's what Martin Luther is all about. So, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. This knowledge of and confidence in God's grace makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and with all creatures. And this is the work which the Holy Spirit performs in faith. Because of it, without compulsion, a person is ready and glad to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything out of love and praise to God who has shown him this grace. Thus, it is impossible to separate works from faith, quite as impossible as to separate heat and light from fire. Now, over the past few weeks here at Cross of Life, we've heard how we are to be light in the world, how we are to share our light with the world. We've also heard how the Holy Spirit creates that fire of faith in our hearts, and we are to spread that fire with those around us. So as we go out into the world this morning, let us have that same daring faith in God's grace. Let us be happy and glad and bold to do good to everyone, to help everyone. And yes, maybe even suffer because of our daring faith, 
but we do so out of love and thanks to God for his great mercy to each and every one of us. May we have that daring faith. Let us be bold and confident, humble and loving as we go out and serve God and serve others. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.